0: Jar Jar Binks,
1: you are listening to Behind the Lens. (laughs) And yes, indeed, you are listening to Behind the Lens. And, of course, my special in-studio guest today, Stephen Alaric. Those of you regular listeners, you know that that voice of Jar Jar Binks is courtesy of Steve himself, and he did not know Pam was going to play that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was a nice surprise. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a nice
1: surprise to have you to tell you what a great, great friend Steve is. With a minute, I, and he was just here in October or yeah. September. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I said, you know, hey, we're starting year four. Do you want to come do the show to kick off year four? And right away, without hesitation, you said, yes, I'll be there.
0: Yeah, no. Well, look, I love being here. I love your show. I love what you do. So why not, you know? Uh. And Check I love, having, I love
1: having you here.
0: <laughs> and this is a
1: great way to start off year four. Yeah. And, you know, and we're going global with year four. It's crazy. I mean, granted, we've been global anyway. So hello to all of our listeners in Moscow, in Italy, in Germany, in the UK. I mean, I love that we, that we have such a multi-international audience for Behind the Lens.
0: It's amazing the reach that, you know, your show has.
1: You know, and yeah, and I'm and I'm just so thrilled. And today we have calling in our other special guest at the Midway Point, writer director Vivian DeCourcy is calling in from Ireland. Wow. To talk about her film, Dare to Be Wild, which is an amazing story. And for everybody in the UK, you may know the backstory of Dare to Be Wild. It is the story of Mary Reynolds, who you know, a, a Irish girl from humble beginnings went on to win the gold medal in the 2002 Chelsea Flower Show, the most prestigious flower show, I think, really in the world. Yeah. And she beat Prince Charles with her natural Celtic sanctuary design. <laughs> so this is, you know, Vivian has now made this film. It, it's a narrative film, so it's not it's not a documentary. It is beyond engaging. Emma Greenwell stars as Mary Reynolds. Uh, Emma, people have seen her in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, um, Love and Friendship, uh, where she, I mean, she's a delight in both, uh, as well as, you know, some television shows. And her co-star, Tom Hughes, is currently playing Prince Albert in the series, um, Oh, God. Now now I'm going to blank on the series that he's doing. Oh, Victoria. And he plays a young Prince Albert. So it's a wonderful cast. It's a small cast, but the locations and I can't wait for Vivian to call in. So hopefully we won't have phone issues. (laughs) Hopefully not. Hopefully. Um, Pam's all set in there. And, you know, I want to thank thank the publicist on this one, Kim Dixon, Kim. So on top of it, she even sent in, she goes, this is the number that she's calling from in case you need it or you have a dropout. Uh. And so so I'm looking forward to that. But I'm so thrilled to have you here, especially the day after the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. Some wonderful winners. You didn't see the Globes because you were doing something much more important. Uh,
0: I was. I was I was at the uh, greatest showman. What? A good, what a beautiful movie!
1: And of course, while you were watching The Greatest Showman, The Greatest Showman was picking up the Golden Globe for Best Original Song. This is me.
0: The music in that show, oh my god! Like, like well, and- I can't. Like, I don't even know where to start. You know, when if we if we sit here, like, I feel like we could talk for the whole hour. I feel like we could cover three shows. You know what I mean? Like, it it was so incredibly well done. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I was saying to you before the show, I was saying that like the the individual parts were brilliant. You look at the cinematography, you look at the the um, production design, all of it was gorgeous. But the sum of it is what you do, yeah. what you make movies for, yeah. which was emotional. It made you feel something. It was all about the story. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, honestly, it was just I, 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 I can't praise it enough.
1: So I didn't lie to you when I said you got to see this film. No,
0: you didn't. <laughs> you never do, though. Honestly, not, you, you, you know, you always, your your recommendations, at least in my mind, you know what I mean, are always spot on. You know what I mean? So. Well,
1: you know, and The Greatest Showman, you know, it's like I interviewed Michael Gracie, the director, and Michael, he comes out of a very strong music video background. Okay. Um, and I think that was very key to making The Greatest Showman because of the very nature, because this is a musical... In the truest sense of a musical, the songs are written with the lyrics as part of the dialogue of the film.
0: Right, and and you know, good musicals, in my humble opinion, you know, um, the music comes out of an emotional place. It's, mm-hmm. it's the music comes out when it's you know it that's the emotion speaking. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not anything else. And and. It just did such a good job of doing that. Man. You know what I mean?
1: I don't think I've ever seen you smile this big before. No, you I, mean, are just-
0: no I mean, you know, because I went in. I honestly, I went in with zero expectations. I didn't, I purposefully, I didn't look at any trailers. I, I went in completely blind. I honestly didn't even know it was a musical. The only clue that I had that maybe it was a musical was when you said something to me about about the music Music. in the show, but you didn't, you know, that you just kind of referenced the music and that was it. And I, I, I honestly, I didn't know what to expect, and I was, I was, I was blown away. I was, I was, it was, it was beautiful in every in every way.
1: Well, you know, and this is indeed, you know, high praise and a great analysis coming from you, because for those of you just joining us for the first time. Steve was the very first Simba in The Lion King.
0: In Toronto. In um, Toronto. Yes. I, I did the show on Broadway and in, in here in LA as well. Yes. But, but when you say the first, first, I originated it in Toronto. You rid- wanna, it, yeah.
1: But then you went on to Broadway. That's right. You played it out here. So you know a thing or two about musicals.
0: Well, from that perspective, yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
1: But you understand the emotionality of the music and the lyrics and the songs and the importance in tying it together. Yeah. And I think what Michael also did with The Greatest Showman and having Hugh playing P.T. Barnum, um, because he has such a great theatricality, there is a great theatricality to... This, which fits with the whole idea of P.T. Barnum and the quote-unquote circus.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, and I could see this. Like, if this doesn't become a stage musical, like, it, like it's there's, you know, I, I don't know. You know, the only thing they've got to work out is how to stage some of the things. I mean, like it's, it's tailor made. I mean, yeah, th- that can you can put that on stage like almost as is. You know what I mean? I
1: mean, I did, and yeah. I've seen it four times already.
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs> And again, that's high praise. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. amount of movies that you see, and the amount of time that you have to see movies for your own enjoyment, as opposed for to what you do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that says a lot that you spend that much time going to see it. I mean, and I I totally get why.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, it's you soar. Your your toes are tapping. You're you're like dancing in your seat through this whole movie. Yeah, because even in the somber mo- moments. It's still right up there. You never lose that emotional beat.
0: No, I, I'm telling you, there were several points in that where I, I, I was I cried. You know what I mean? Several points. I was moved.
1: And, and you've you never know. had you've never gotten to work with Keala Settle, have you? Who who sings "This Is Me"?
0: No. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, and I love. I was watching um, the workshopping the because they actually workshopped this in order to get the in order to get it greenlit. So they workshopped it like a stage production. Right. She was, and then when they were shooting, she was starring in Waitress at the time. Okay. So she would actually do Waitress, either in the in the afternoon, and then right. workshop this at night and rehearse at night, or do Waitress at night and and shoot during the day. The, but um, she yeah. just, uh, oh, she, she killed playing it. <laughs> Letty. She yeah. is, she no, is. She, she killed it. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know who she was coming into this film yeah. Yeah. and just blew my mind. I'm so thrilled you got to see the film.
0: Yeah, no, so am I. Thanks again for, you know, I, I would have seen it anyway. I was interested, you know, to begin with. But honestly, like, it was, it's it's uh, it's why you make movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like the experience that I had as an audience member, I sat there and I watched it and I said, honestly... If I that's what I want to be involved in in one mm-hmm. way or another. Doesn't have not necessarily that it's musical or not musical or what have you, but the impact that it had on the audience, on everybody that I went with that saw it, and the people that I overheard talking about it. It's like the impact that it had. That's why you make movies, whether yeah. it makes a dollar or a billion. Kind of, I don't want to say is irrelevant, but it's not the point. The point right. for for movies to me. Yes, I mean, no one wants to lose millions of dollars making <laughs> it, <laughs> but but I mean, you know, it's 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 to move people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, that, and and that this did this brilliantly.
1: Yeah. And you leave and you're soaring. You are soaring. Yeah. When you leave the theater, and it's a feeling of euphoria you don't want to lose.
0: I was still in my seat downloading the the soundtrack, soundtrack. on iTunes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the fact that you were in your seat doing that means that your phone was turned on. So Uh,
0: after the movie. okay, All right. After the credits. okay. I sat. I'm one. I sit and watch the credits. I
1: know. And you know respect, Even if
0: I can't take in all the names out of respect, I'll sit and watch the credits.
1: Well, I have. Speaking of credits, I have to tell you, I just saw The Leisure Seeker uh, the other day. I'm actually doing interviews tomorrow with the director and with Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland. Um, it's a lovely, lovely film. The release date just got moved to March 9th, I think. But I'm watching the credits as they roll down. And there were some new credits on there that I have never seen anywhere before. They actually give credit to the Workers' Compensation Insurance Company. Wow. Not the film insurance, not the bond company. No, the Workers' Comp. Now, I don't know if this is because you were dealing with you know, older actors, but <laughs> you know, the workers' comp company got uh is in the credits of the leisure seeker,
2: that's crazy.
1: <laughs> and of course, because there's uh, there's this you know, a 1970s Winnebago involved, which is the leisure seeker, right? They're an el- older couple and now they're tra- they travel in the Winnebago. Um, but yeah, there was a service technician for the Winnebago, uh, <laughs> d- just that's part of the fun for me yeah over the years to see how you look at classic films and there are no end credits you know you have right. your initial credits you look at an old MGM an old RKO you have your initial credits your above the line credits at the beginning of the film your writer your director your producers and your and your name talent at the end of the film you might have one end title card with your main supporting players but because everybody was in the studio system and interchangeable they weren't They just did not do voluminous credits, and and as film production has advanced, technology has increased. Everybody wants their name on the credits. You know, as my dad told me decades ago, when I was working a a lot of production all the time in the 80s, and some people were saying, yeah, but you're not getting your name on the credits, and I said something to him. I mean, he spent 60 years in television broadcasting, and he goes, is your name spelled right on the check? Yeah. Yeah. Did the check clear the bank? I said, yeah. <laughs> he goes, then don't worry about the credits. Right,
0: right. Well, I, you know what, though? I think that, you know, uh, as we're talking about credits, it is it is a testament to how many people influence yeah. a film. Like, it's easy to look and see the actors, the director, you know, but, but s- s- certain things like even costume design, the average person doesn't look at that and get, like, how that can really enhance a story how lighting you know uh, to me you know talking about the golden globes one performance is not done by one person it's not it you you know like if if it's done right the camera tells a story the costumes tells a story the lighting tells a story the production design tells a story all of it works together so one performance can be you know, brilliant because of all those things, and the same performance can fall flat if those things are not in line, you know so Now
1: now just imagine if you had seen the greatest showman without those costumes.
0: Right. The impact would it, it would not nearly be the same.
1: No, Ellen's costumes, especially <clears throat> the gown designed for Rebecca Magnuson as Jenny Lynn. that beating yeah. on that gown they <laughs> actually they actually have all those all, the main costumes are on display at the AMC in Century City right now.
0: Oh, really. And yeah. I will
1: make sure that for the video of this show, I took pictures of all of them. So I will make sure that I send those pictures to Lydia so she can insert them. So when you go back and you watch the video of this show, you'll be able to see. But all the hand beading that is done, all, and the the velvet. And it's not cheap, crappy fabric. Right. Because in one of my many incarnations in life, I used to manage fabric stores when I was in junior high and high school back east. Oh, wow. So... I know, and you had to understand fabric and fabric construction. And, of course, my great-aunt, Lil, was the very first. uh, She owned a couture uh, dress shop in Columbus, Georgia, the very first female businesswoman there. And then my father's, uh, my second cousin or whatever, uh, she worked for designers and pattern companies in New York. So I've always been surrounded and learning about fabric right. and what you need. And when I look at things, I look at the detail and the finishing. That's why I love talking to people like Sandy Powell and Colleen Atwood and Jacqueline Duran about the costuming. Right. And what goes into it.
0: The amount of thought and creativity that goes into yeah. it is, is not, it's, it's not evident to the, to the average right. viewer. You know what I mean?
1: It's like, you know, Louis Seguera with The Shape of Water. Which is another one you have to see.
0: Yeah, I got 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 a. I got a ton of SAG screeners. Very I good. <laughs> I got to go that, through. <laughs> that's a
1: big one, yeah. but you know, and that one, you're going to fall in love with Dan Lawson's cinematography. Uh, you know, it, it, Dan's right up there, one of the hot contenders for Oscar right. for cinematography for The Shape of Water. But Lewis's costuming in there and the use of color, the very specific design of color uh, for defining characters, defining sets. And using it to tie in the emotional connective tissue between Sally Hawkins' character and the creature, blues and greens. So, And then you see punctuations of red for love, for blood. So color and and design, very, very, very important.
0: This is what I mean. And and the, the magic of that is when someone is watching it and feels it but doesn't know why. You know what I mean? Like they they, they see this image and they're moved by it. But you can't turn around and go, oh, it's well, the color palette. They picked red there and it signified love. It's subconscious. It hits you in a different way. This is the beauty of filmmaking. You know what I mean? This is where a lot of the magic happens. Like I said, it's easy to point at the actors. And, you know, I mean, obviously. Yes, you're an actor. Right. (laughs) uh, You know, I mean, the job's not easy Uh, But it is the one that everyone can look at and and easily point out that person did a good job or I was moved by that. But the other stuff is a little, you know, it's subliminal, you know, and when it's done right, you know, it all adds up together, you know.
1: And see, that's been with a lot of the characters that you have played over the years. That's very important. You know, for example, Simba. Yeah. That's all about costume.
0: You know what? Like. We could sit here and talk for hours about the costuming in that show and how you know uh if, if you've seen it right yes. so so um that beginning with the sunrise and the animals coming out
2: mm-hmm.
0: the uh the giraffes move like giraffes, but the uh, the you know the dancers didn't have to do anything. I shouldn't say didn't have to do anything, but they didn't have to do much more than walk on the stilts. Right. The costuming was what was sort of did a lot of the work mm-hmm. of of all of that. You know, again, the brilliance of and the amount of thought that goes yeah. into that. You know, or Scar and Simba's masks, or I mean, Scar and Mufasa's masks were mechanical, so that they could move down and it, and it would look like a lion, you know, mm-hmm. and then it would move back up to the top of their head when they stood up straight. It was a brilliant way to, to be able to merge animal and human and mm-hmm. be able, you, you know, to, to, to be able to, to have that and, and, and have the audience identify with with the characters. It's, it's, it's yeah, I mean, like, the, again, the thought and creativity is incredible.
1: Yeah. It's just, that's why Oscar, yeah, award season, it's one of my favorite favorite times, especially when I get to to do all these below-the-line interviews, yeah. which you know I love, which yeah. is why we have Behind the Lens. Yeah, right. Um, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to be talking to Gary Rydstrom uh, sometime this week, I think, the sound designer on Spielberg's movie The Post.
0: Oh, great. Yeah.
1: So I'm very excited about that. And have you seen The Post yet? I have.
0: Okay, I'm I'm dying to see it. <laughs> I have,
1: but I have to I have to say a caveat to everybody that is has not yet seen the post that is going to see the post or that has seen the post. Also, please, please, I can't encourage you enough. See the newspaper man, the Life and Times of Ben Bradley. It's a documentary on by jo, uh, by Joe Maggio on Ben Bradley, who was the editor. and worked with with Graham during this whole era of the Pentagon Papers and then Watergate. So it is a wonderful one-two punch to actually see this documentary and this man's perspective. Um, And, of course, they had interviews with Sally Quinn, who was his, his last wife, and Sally Quinn, a noted news journalist, and interviews with so many, you know, respected reporters and journalists over the course of his career. So to see those two together... See a narrative on the Post, the Pentagon Papers, and to see the documentary on Bradley, which focuses more on Post ends where Watergate picks up. Okay. And the documentary focuses very heavily on Bradley's years with, as a friend of John Kennedy's and then the Watergate years. So you watch these two together, and you have a complete journalistic timeline from the days of Ke- or before Kennedy – all the way up through Watergate and beyond.
0: Wow. And it's amazing how timely it is. Like it's, it's and it's it's coincidental because I mean yeah. it takes a long time to make a movie. It's not That's like it. you know, it's not like they just up and shot this in two months, no. released it, and here you go. You know what I mean? Like this this had to have started before, you know, the current administration. So like it's yeah. you know <laughs> it's it's incredible
1: like the timing, you know, the, how it all worked out. I know, just yeah. you know, but you know, when you look back through history things work out you know for a reason they yeah. somehow they all fall into place yeah you know very serendipitously
0: well said yeah
1: and you know this is just one of those times but what you also get in watching things like uh, like the post like the newspaper man is you also see how history is repeating itself you see how playbooks of old are being duplicated as playbooks of new right And that the mistakes of the past, some people still have not learned from them, and they choose to do the same things that were done and didn't work before. Right. And you can take that as commentary on on the current administration, or not. (laughs) Well, I
0: tell you, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I feel very strongly about what's happening now, um, but I don't know, like. I, if if I get started, <laughs> so you know we're yes. here to talk about film. Yes. And by all means, you know your show. You get to say what you want. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stay reserved <laughs> because it's not my show.
1: <laughs> well, something else, and of course, when you see the video, of course, let me just say I've said this since day one: Coco, best animated film of the year, it won the Golden Globe for best animated film.
0: You said um, it should be up for best picture. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, and Best Picture, Oscar. I can't wait to see the nominees that come out for Best Picture this year because it's going to be.
0: There's some great films. There are
1: incredible films. And, you know, we briefly mentioned Shape of Water. Well, last (laughs) night at the Golden Globes. Yes, Steve's very impressed by this. This is my personally autographed copy of the score for The Shape of Water from Alexandra Desplat who just won the Golden Globe for Best Original Score last night for Shape of Water, which is haunting. It is beautiful. It is gorgeous. Um, would you like to hear a little bit of my exclusive interview with Alexandra? Yeah, of course. Talking about, let's see, the first, we're, we're only going to have time to do one if Vivian calls in on time. So the first is pretty much an overview of the of the considerations of scoring a film like *The Shape of Water*, which is all emotionality.
0: I'm looking forward to it.
1: I know.
3: I hope people will will love it too here because they loved it in London, they loved it in Venice. But I don't know about the American audience. Are they ready for love? Because love house. is not love is not in the air. More about hate and pointing at people. And so I hope. I hope. Um, I hope it goes through.
1: I mean, it is. It, for my money, it is a masterpiece.
3: It is. Oh, there's no doubt. There, You're absolutely right. I have the same. The cinematography,
1: session. the use of color, and
3: camera moves. The
1: camera moves, and that's something. And even and Sydney's editing. Yeah, The so we well, yes. cinematography, the editing, and the score. The, these three things are in such synergy mm-hmm. with this film. Because we have one... Our main character does not speak. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Which is why we then need score... Mm -hmm. To fill in those moments. You know, we see that also with Wonderstruck... With Todd Haynes' movie... For the silent portions... Mm -hmm. Because of a deaf girl. Mm -hmm. But here... I mean, granted, she... You know, Eliza's doing sign language... And punctuating things with force and effect. But still... Our sensory experience needs to hear something, and that's where your score comes in. And I have to say, it is so beautiful. Thank you. You have whimsy in there with the scenes with the, with the boiled hard-boiled eggs, mm-hmm. like little tinkling sounds, mm-hmm. like a triangle, mm-hmm. or it, it's just. And then we get the whole the romantic, mm-hmm. epic swoon and sweep. And we have the chase Mm -hmm. the heart the tension you know of the Russians and Mm -hmm. torture and the the fluidity that you've put all this together with the score flows like the water flows
3: well you just said what I was looking for the water I was writing for and the movie flows so I just have to put a little boat on it and (laughs) it does it's just the way it is like on a stream in the street you know when there's water so you put a little boat but it's the same the music can I couldn't say it's easy because it's not easy it's a lot of work but it's easier Mm -hmm. because it's just it's calling for music as you said because of the unspoken emotions the restrained emotions um, and because the beauty of every shot is moving Mm -hmm. and because the way the script is so well organized Mm -hmm. as you say the flow of the editing there's not one steady shots everything is in motion and the music music is in motion also you know it goes from A to Z and so this chronological flow is just uh, um, amazingly inspirational for me now
1: did you come on board after the film was finished
3: Mm -hmm. I read the script Mm-hmm. Long time ago,
1: how does your impression, if you read the script and you start getting ideas, or how you might score something, but then you actually see picture a lot?
3: Well, that's 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 where I start. Mm-hmm. The script doesn't really give me... It usually gives me wrong directions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the visual... It's the visual. If I write medical film, it's because of the visual, mm-hmm. because of cinema, not of paper and well if the script is not good I, I can I can tell or, or if it's incomplete or if it's really really great then, then you
1: may be busy when it comes time to But that's, the, that's, that's the thing yeah no,
3: well, but also also while I'm reading a script I'm doing another score for mm-hmm. another film so I it's hard for me to I can vaguely anticipate but not really it's when you when I see and when you see a film like this one coming coming towards you it, there's moments in, in your life where you're, you're being offered these experiences. When I saw um, girl with a pearl earring, or when I saw King's Speech, mm-hmm. or when I saw um, Benjamin Button, or the Queen, or I don't know some films like that. You you you're given these moments of cinema that that you've uh, devoted your life to with passion and, and, and joy. So this came to me in January I was I was like a like a child in a candy store it's just that's what that's what I'm doing movies for Mm -hmm. that's for that this type of film how when you saw
1: the film how do you start how do you approach developing the score well there's there's
3: conversations with with uh, Guillermo I know he wants a score that is European okay good 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 pick good pick um which means that he don't, doesn't want me to follow the action, you know, frame by frame. He wants me to, to be more in the nouvelle vague uh, type of sport, which is
1: and that is Alexander Desplat. We will hear more, but I'm going to cut that short because we have Vivian De Courcy is joining us. Hello, Vivian. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I am so excited to be speaking with you. My, little, my cohort, Steve Alaric, actor Steve Alaric, is here also with me today. Hi, Vivian. Hi, Steve. How well, are
4: you? I'm here in cold, miserable London.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's cold, miserable California today, too. Oh
4: well, that's that's that makes me feel a lot better. Does it? it you know,
1: <laughs> it's raining. You know, after all the fires in California recently, they're doing mandatory. Vacuum. Well, it
4: must be great to have some rain, yeah.
1: I'll tell you. So it's just not fun driving in it, but <laughs> I, I can imagine. I am so excited to have you joining us today. Not only to talk, not only because it's a thrill to have you and to have you talk about Dare to Be Wild but also because you're helping kick off the 4th year of our show.
4: Oh, very good. That's great. So, well, this is my first movie. It's great to make your first movie in your 50s and, and then be on your show in its 4th year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I got to tell you this film. Well, and and you know, and I have a great a, gay, a great kinship with you, you know, because you also you're a lawyer. You were a lawyer here in the United States for a number of years. Um, before That's correct, before you walk- too many years, far too many years. <laughs> <laughs> I spent I spent twenty seven years in law myself, Vivian, and then I said enough is oh, enough. Oh, you've beaten me out, Debbie. I spent twenty four.
2: <laughs>
1: I <think>. Yeah, <laughs> twenty seven was enough, and I was doing I was you know working as a critic, doing everything concurrently, and then it finally reaches a point where it's where does you, where is your real passion lie? And as you, exactly, and you having. B- worked in law in the United States, you know the turns that it was taking in terms of losing a lot of its integrity and the new breed of attorneys that were coming up. So, <laughs> indeed, it seemed. Indeed. It was- well, I actually started writing. I came off the back of the Clinton
4: campaign in 1993, and then I had a bout with breast cancer. Actually, and I was very young then, and I decided. Um, My partner used to keep saying to me, stop talking about ideas you have for scripts and start writing them. And so I studied everything I could find, and I used to, actually, I was working in-house at a big financial institution in Chicago, and I could do my work by about noon every day, and then I started writing on their time. I should really thank them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're a professional writer. You're getting paid to write right off the bat, huh?
4: Well, no, you know, I just started writing. It was a lot of practice. It's a long time ago, and it yeah. took a long time to, to get here. And the funny part of it is that my partner wanted me to push the first film, which was going to be, you know, a kind of like a brave heart story with lots of sex violence, political intrigue, and cavalry charges. And when I put it forward, they said, Well, you can't direct that. A, you're a woman. This is like in 2000. And B, you've never directed a cavalry charge before. And I said, neither of any of the men you have directed cavalry
2: charges.
4: (laughs) But anyway, he was kind of shocked when I said, I'm actually going to do my first film about the art of wild gardening. So um, that's what I found through very circuitous means. It's the true story of Mary Reynolds.
1: I was, you know, and Steve and I were talking earlier before the show today about this. I mean, number one, Mary's story is amazing. The fact that, you know, she took the gold medal and Prince Charles back in 2002 at the Chelsea Flower Show got a silver. Everybody knows yes. about his environmentalism and his dedication to horticulture exactly. and gardening. And
4: and he was actually an extraordinary help to her, too, you know.
1: But, yeah, you know, the fact here she comes, this little girl from Ireland, and takes the world by storm with just going back to her roots and to nature and the the whole idea of man is nature nature is man
4: nature man i uh, yes. just
1: absolutely beautiful how did you find mary and what led you let's face it wild gardening well, is it's not a really a funny
4: story what, what... When I finally escaped from practising law, I came back to (laughs) Ireland because my mother was quite ill and my American husband at the time was quite ill. Both of them died and I bought a little farm, a hill farm in West Cork, and I wrote a 10-point design brief and sent it out because I had a little bit of money then and sent it out to some of the top designers in the world to do a wild garden. And what they sent back to me bore no relationship to my design brief which I wanted to integrate into the landscape beyond on Roaring Water Bay, and I wanted no right angles, and I wanted all wild vegetation and a hawthorn grove and a fairy tale feeling and so on. And one day somebody told me, you know, you need that Irish girl, Mary Reynolds. She just won the Chelsea Flower Show. And so one day Mary rocked up to my house and um, she had a lot of edge and a lot of attitude and actually quite she terrified me. <laughs> and about six months later, she sent me back this extraordinary design and I have to build it. And so I built the garden and in the course of building my wild garden, which is still there, you know, what is it, 10, 15, 15 years later now, and still growing and still a work in progress. She told me her extraordinary story of meeting Christy Collard, who was the only people that actually live in West Cork. They have a, a, an amazing place called Future Forest. And if you want, say, a bluebell garden, they will come over and do it and put it into your garden or a hawthorn tree or anything that's, you know, native and wild. Mm -hmm. Because garden centers don't typically do that. They do it a little more nowadays. But in general, they don't. So it was a very interesting experience. And it was very interesting, you know, and, and the rationale behind it is, of course, that, for example, a typical lawn can't support one bee and is full of insecticides but a clover lawn can support a myriad of of landscapers. So then imagine your clover lawn and a hundred of them and a thousand of them, and we create a very beautiful living sanctuary for our friends, the bees. But that's just one simple element in the story.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I find the whole idea fascinating. As I'm watching the film, Uh, an author friend of mine in Philadelphia, Lisa Scotellini, Lisa decided she wanted a wild garden on her huge amount of land in suburban Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And she just got wild seeds and went out, dug up the ground, and threw wild seeds. And now it's the different uh, vegetation and the the flowers. You know, it's wherever they pop up is where they pop up. And it is fabulous. And as I'm watching...
4: But the problem is, the problem is, Debbie, that people actually don't... They're so
1: dissociated from nature Mm -hmm. now, you know? Yeah. And that's something that I love, that you really bring to the screen, and that, you know, Emma, uh, Emma Greenwell, in playing Mary, she really embodies that connective tissue, that, you know, that synergy. Yeah, she was
4: wonderful, absolutely marvelous.
1: You know, how did you luck out? In finding Emma. I mean, I love We, we did lock out. <laughs> I mean, we had done a massive casting call, and
4: I had seen so many people, and then it was literally three weeks to go to the shoot, and we still didn't have Emma, and we equally didn't have we, we didn't have a leading man, and actually I was frantic. And somebody called us and said, you've got to look at this girl, and we interviewed her, and the next day she sent me a tape, and she, she overnight had copied Mary's Irish accent, and when we were doing all the work in Dublin, people thought, why haven't we seen this this actress before in <laughs> Ireland? They actually, the Irish thought she was Irish. So wow. it was extraordinary. She's a very, very talented young actress. She's only about 26 now. And I think she's a very long way to go. She's in the path at the moment, and she was in Love and Friendship and various other movies. And then, of course, Tom Hughes has been in Victoria. I don't know if it's played in America yet, but he plays Prince Albert in Victoria, which has been quite a big hit in the British Isles.
1: Well, I know Emma, I became familiar with her in Pride, Prejudice, and, and Zombies.
2: Yeah. So, exactly. So, <laughs> that, so that was
1: my first experience of seeing Emma on screen. Then I saw her in Love and Friendship after that. So when I saw, and I was blown away by her performance in Dare to be Wild, because yeah. it's like, okay, I, yeah, I hear astounding. this, this Irish brogue, and it's like, wait a minute, this is not the same voice I heard coming out of this woman before. Uh, so I wasn't yeah. sure which one was the authentic. She was Irish. <laughs> she's so, actually she's
4: a Chelsea girl and very posh. <gasps> what were there? I was know, there something? Funny.
0: Was there something specific you were looking for in, in, in an actor when you're going through for for both of those parts? Was there something, you know, um, that that personality-wise or character? Well, wise, I
4: needed. What I wanted to do was I wanted to. Sorry. Go, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, what I, what I wanted to find was somebody very young, as young as Mary was when she took on Chelsea, because for over a 100 years, she was the youngest person ever to win the gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show in garden design. And, you know, just like in the film, her garden was right next door to Prince Charles. So there was that element of hurling the little streets upon the grace. But she had a wonderful idea. And I think the whole story in this era, when we're searching desperately for strong female protagonists, the wonder of it was that she had the tenacity to see it through, as well as the vision. And not only does she does she win, but she gets her man, who had no respect for her and was just interested in doing, you know, forests in Africa. So his whole goal was to to uh, to recreate, um, or her, her to recreate what was left. And her goal was to protect what we had. Sorry, his goal was to recreate the wild, and her goal was to protect it.
1: And, and I love the idea so the
4: idea is basically that if you if you have a wild na- nature in your own backyard on, then and only then will you understand the importance of protecting our wild places
2: mm-hmm. because
4: as i 've said, most people don 't have any consciousness of that anymore unless they 're lucky enough to you know go hiking or something mm-hmm. and most people aren 't
1: and so many people, especially here in California, you go hiking. And you see, you know, a lot of deciduous trees and and greenery. Mm-hmm. You don't really see wildflowers. I mean, I I remember growing yes. up outside Philadelphia, and you could uh, to this day you can go to Valley Green with, along the Wissahickon Creek, and there's trees, there's wildflowers everywhere. There's buttercups, there's bluebells. It's spe- there's little milkweed. But pots. you see,
4: they've been spraying for years. Yeah, they've been spraying for so long. And part of it is because lawns from about the 1700s on became aspirational, you know, from kind of Louis XIV's court. Mm -hmm. And if you were a rich person, you could have a manicured lawn. And the next thing, lawns are becoming aspirational in American suburbs, and you could have a regulation length. And of course, now, particularly in California, which is on the forefront of this, they're beginning to turn back that whole trend and rewild their gardens. And I don't know if I told you this, but Virginia Robinson Gardens in Beverly Hills saw the film Oh, I suppose about 18 months ago when it was in in its first world release phase, And they rewilded their whole garden in Beverly Hills um, based on the film, which I was thrilled about. So it's growing now, I'm hearing.
1: Oh, my goodness. I didn't, you know, I didn't. You know Virginia Robinson Gardens? I do. I do. Yeah.
4: Well, their whole front garden is rewilded based on the, the film There to be Wild. So it's just a funny kind of turn of events.
1: Oh, my God. So, you
4: know, we've, we, we've, we, we're having the release now and then we've sold to Netflix and Netflix is going to release the film in April, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm thrilled about that because all we really ever wanted was that lots of people would see it. And children and young men, ironically, are really impressed by the film You know, people think young men, all they want to see is car chases and shooting and banging. But actually, I think they're starving for inspiration. And when I was making this film, I wanted to make a beautiful inspiration film as a total contrast to the dark dystopian films that have been so, you know, prevalent for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And people now, critics, everybody else, you have to kind of be dark, tortured and twisted in order to be cool, you know. And it's just it's It's become I think it's terribly important that not only do we do films that have strong female protagonists but we do films that actually illuminate solutions for humanity and that's I was trying to do all of these things with this film, you know
1: well, and you do it so beautifully, so I'm curious because there is there is all these beautiful gardens, you've got the beautiful lush green hills of Ireland, you're down in Ethiopia. what was this like logistically for you? as a first-time director, you know, with these multiple locations and, of course, the whole garden aspect, because I, I, it can't be that easy or that inexpensive to recreate these beautiful gardens or to create new ones. Well, we, when
4: we went to Ethiopia, that scene where Mary has the vision on top of the sacred mountain in mm-hmm. Ethiopia, that's actually at 12,000 feet. And we have to climb before dawn with an entire crew and Ethiopian baggage bearers because I wanted to get the shot in the same place so that it would come across. Because in that moment, she had a vision that, that, that if they got this right, they could actually bring back the forests of Ethiopia, which, have just, which, which were all over those mountains, but have been eroded by need to literally cook food over the millennia. Mm-hmm. And so Mary had described to me where she had this vision and I was determined to get to the same place. And so my cinematographer, who is wonderful, Cahal Waters, and I said, we'll get around the producers to do this. And you know what we did? And Sarah Johnson, who is the producer of Birdman and several other people, climbed to the top of that mountain with us. Mm. Just as dawn came up and we got our shot and went down again. You know, it, was, it was an extraordinary, oh, almost a spiritual experience just to go there. And while we were shooting it, there were, there's a monastery on top of the mansion, and all these Ethiopian priests were chanting. So it was really beautiful, you know?
1: Oh, my. It was it a
4: was really spiritual experience. And honestly, it was worth every single step of that climb, although it nearly killed us. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, And, and th-
4: as to the garden, the competition garden, we have to build it to perfection and then shoot it in seven pr- phases going backwards because, of course, you couldn't be shooting, you know, and building the next day logistically. Mm-hmm. So all these people would come into the park where we were shooting the set and would say, oh, we love this garden. How long is it going to? Who's building it? And, and when we started to strip it back, they all would come round and be hysterical. <laughs> Why was the garden being taken away? It was kind of funny in a way. But anyway, the garden is being built now in my original garden in West Cork this year, which would be nice.
1: Oh, because it is absolutely stunning. And I'm so glad that yeah, you, that you actually did go to Ethiopia to get that mountaintop shot because you realize yeah. when, you're, when you're watching this, this is not CGI. This is real. So no, this
4: is real. That yeah. view. Well, it was real in her imagination and we did go to the top of that mountain. And it was one of the things that when she told it to me, and this would have been back in 2002, I was so impressed. By, the, by, by her story of the vision she had, she said it was so clear. Because Mary has visions a lot, and she often calls me up and she said, "I just had this this vision, and I'm seeing this this space." And <laughs> you can actually, she makes it come alive for you. And so, when we were doing the CGI, I know we didn't have an awful lot of money to do it, but I think we brought the idea across. Was when she actually turned around and said, "No, we will get this 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 garden bit. We will get these forest bits." And you know, now back in 2002, very few people were reforesting the deserts. Mm-hmm. But now, it, since then, it's become quite—you know—it's it, it's a growing trend, let's say. And we can make the forest bloom again. But you know, we need millions and millions of trees and lots of money. So what we really wanted to do on the back of there to be wild was build a movement. And slowly but surely, it's happening. The movie's been very successful in a lot of territories at this stage. And it's a kind of a weird trajectory because usually things go out first in the U.S., but ours is actually going out last in the U.S.
1: Uh, well, and I know it's coming out on VOD tomorrow in the U.S. Correct. Yes, yeah. tomorrow. Correct. And then I'm thrilled that Netflix is picking it up. So in April, it's, it's going to come out yes. in theaters so, I mean, this, this is absolutely. Yes, and
4: interestingly enough, it's going into a lot of different categories. It's not just a comedy or it's not just a drama, but they now have categories for strong female protagonists and they have categories for inspiration, uplift, you know, social message. So it'll hit a
1: lot of different, different boxes, I, I hope. I think this should be champion for environmental growth. I, it, absolutely. That's,
4: that's, that's the plan. You know, and we really would like to get it to, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and the Pope oh. so that when it comes out, they could shout out about it because I think they would absolutely love the concept. And very few people get the concept, but when they see it in a movie, particularly young people, they mm-hmm. get all energized about, can we rewild our school? Can we rewild the sides of our road? You know, one of my producers had a seven-year-old see the movie and she locked herself in her room afterwards and and the and father was saying, why are you locked in there? And she says, go away, Daddy, I'm designing a wild garden. Oh. And oh. that kind of made my
1: day. Wow. Oh, <laughs> oh, I mean, I still, I still remember when I was in, in elementary school and kindergarten. And they they would teach you about planting and growing. <laughs> and you'd get seeds and you'd get your milk carton and you'd plant things. And then you'd plant it in bigger ones. Or you'd take egg cartons and you would plant 12 seedlings and then go out in the yards or in a park and plant them. And, but isn't that
4: so important? Don't you think uh, that should
1: be part of every school curriculum? Actually, it should be everywhere. And that and one of the beautiful things with this film is you you see the hard work that goes into a totally designed wild wild garden. But by the very yes. by the very nature of it being wild, it inspires you to go out and just take a packet of seeds, throw them down in your yard, fertilize them, cultivate and what them, happens. and see what happens. Because every little yeah, bit of exactly. green, it, it helps with oxygenation, purifying the air, you know, the poor little bees that keep getting eradicated. It has so
4: many benefits. It yeah. has so many benefits, really. And, you know, I said at the end of the movie as well, because uh, the, I, I, I wrote a science fiction epic first, which I knew I'd have no shot at directing, but now, fortunately, I do, <laughs> because I'm going to be working with Framestore on it.
3: And, oh. and it
4: was called Dare to Breathe. And Mary, it, it's actually going to be the story, 157 years into the future, set between Chicago and Shanghai. And it's about the great grandchildren of Mary Reynolds. You know, what kind of a future oh. are we going to engender for our children? And so... It's based on Gaia theory that the Earth is a big superorganism that will come back to us. So the last lines of the movie, the, the lyrical poem I wrote, is, you know, um, given the chance, nature will always come back to us. We can protect what is left and recreate what is lost. Uh, what's the next line? <laughs> I'm getting my own poem. Um, uh, nature will... Uh, Anyway, it, it ends up, I began by sowing a seed, which I think is lovely.
1: Oh. And it's Mary's,
4: you know, words in the story.
1: Well, and that... it goes
4: back to childhood. So it's it's a really nice little, you know, the opening line is, I grew like a weed in the wild fields of Ireland.
2: Mm-hmm. So
4: it's kind of the end of the poem. One is the first part of the poem. and it, It's really funny because, you know, when I would give the scripts out to people, they'd say, it's too lyrical, give it more edge. And I'm like, <laughs> No but see the lyricism it's poetry it, and it's about nature it's a lyric poem
1: and nature is so poetic just watch just watch the leaves waxing in the wind just watch the spray you have some beautiful imagery in the film not just the montages but as we see individual frames of a single flower uh, just abs the little pansy uh there was a daisy i mean just absolutely stunning and you can just take those single images, pull them out, frame them, hang them on a wall. They're so gorgeous. And you look at them and Yeah, I, it makes I particularly you smile. love
4: the scene as well where she lies in the grass in the forest and just looks up. And while we were shooting us and the jib shot was going off above, above her, a butterfly right flew right across at the exact right moment. Oh, wow. It's not a CGI butterfly. It's a real butterfly. Can't plan that, you right? know? You know, We had a whole lot of beautiful things like that that just happened.
1: Well, something the donkey
4: else. donkey in Ethiopia that turned around. Really?
1: Oh, my God.
4: Yeah, there's a lovely scene when she arrives in Ethiopia and she's just walking away. And and as she walks past this donkey, he turns and just stares after her. And there's just a little, there's just little moments like that but see, with, that's with nature that I, I loved. That just that just kind of happened, you know.
1: Well, that's when you know the stars are aligning, and you're doing what you should be doing. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, that's been the whole story of this. I mean, frankly, I can't, you know, imagine that I was able to make a film about the art of wild gardening. Well, you know, when you're told that you must make action films, or you know. <laughs> tortured films (laughs) anxious films I think it's so important that we we make stories that that lift the human spirit that show what a group of people acting together for the common good can do Mm -hmm. and I think there's an awful lot of that happening at the moment just because of what we've been stuck with in the last election cycle Mm -hmm. I think people in communities are really coming together and are really beginning to act in concert and I actually think ultimately it's going to be fantastic
1: I think, I think you're right, and it's seeing films like this. I hope so, anyhow. Well, and seeing a film like this, people think about activism and wanting to do something. How many think, and you think about the environment and ecology or, you know, reforestation in the, in the <clears throat> rainforest, but you don't think about doing it in your own backyard or doing it in your local. That's,
4: lo- it, that's it. the exact point. I mean, this is a way for individuals to take back their own power they don't have to wait for governments. They don't have to wait for treaties. They can create wild sanctuaries and recreate wild nature in that little place they control themselves, their own gardens.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, an aspect of the film that goes hand in hand with the lyricism of nature, with the beautiful imagery that you have, is column score. This is a oh, isn't it beautiful great? Yeah. score. What, what were your
4: dis- Well, you know he, he worked with Marketer Glova too, and Glenn Hansard at once, and they actually prefer they prefer the <laughs> they prefer the score to once they've told me themselves, which just makes me laugh. But it is really good, I think, as well. I think it's lovely.
1: What kind of considerations and conversations did you have with Colm about you know what you wanted for the score? You know, so often some directors well, are very I precise. Well, I heard some. I, I needed a score that had a kind of a,
4: an underlying, you know, Irish theme in it. And I needed a score that also was very, in, in certain respects, futuristic and lyrical. And if you listen, you can find it on YouTube at the moment. But if you listen to the song that they wrote for the end, mm-hmm. it's called To the World, To the Wild, To the Child in You. Mm-hmm. And you can find it on on YouTube, and it is just the most beautiful song. I, I just I listen to it and I I love it. And then there's a, another song that's called he called the theme song, which I love, a tune for the good people. I just think it's,
1: he's wonderful at titles, and he's a wonderful composer. Yeah, and but and hand in hand though, your editing it goes. You know your blend between the the composition, the musical compositions and your visual editing it really does ca- encapsulate yeah. that beautiful flow particularly when we didn't have the money of la la land right <laughs> 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 i know
4: it was it was it was pretty challenging it was pretty challenging and you know we had we had time constraints and all kinds of things but we we had marqueta erglova's beautiful voice as well you know she sings the romantic over the romantic scene mm-hmm by the fire, and, and when, they, when the Ethiopians are dancing and all of that lovely scene, a gorgeous Irish ballad called My Lag and Love, mm-hmm. which just completely caught the moment so perfectly. And um, we had a lovely Irish girl called Regna doing that, who's actually Indian and Irish, like our Prime Minister, and oh. she's a, a music specialist, and she, she found that song for that scene, and then Marquetta sang it with Cullum, and it was just great. I mean, I, I love the music that he, he found for all the different scenes. And we also had um latter with Stachy, who's kind of the grandfather of Ethiopian jazz. And he did a lot of the music with Colm in the Ethiopian sequence.
1: Wow. This is truly... Which is about it,
4: one third of the movie.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, this is truly an international project.
4: You have, yeah, it was, really very much so. We had every, it was very like Mary's Garden, where an awful lot of disparate people, you know, <laughs> uh, got together. And, you know, they were literally Irish and British uh, and Jewish and Arabic and, and Americans. I mean, just a, a strange assortment of people who are all botanists and who all, you know, a lot of them live in this place, future forests in West Cork, which is this wildflower sanctuary, where, as I say, if you want a feel the bluebells or hawthorns or primroses you call them up and they come over and they plant it for you and they actually worked in a lot of my garden as well ah. so christy collard just still works there and he does a lot of the building the real christy collard i'm oh talking my. about now and he does a lot of the building for and he still works with mary they're very good friends
1: oh my god that's oh. fabulous well
4: so the romance didn't work out but the friendship worked out really well
1: okay <laughs> and that's that's the better part of the deal <laughs> Seriously, that's the In best. a sense, I think it is. Yeah. I think it
4: is. I mean, people are sometimes disappointed, but it worked out for a long time, and, and then it didn't work out, like lots of things. But it's lovely if you can have a beautiful friendship, and they do have.
1: So I have to ask you, Vivian, because we're almost out of time on the show today, but I want to ask you, mm-hmm. what did you learn about yourself as a director in fin- in getting this film made? That you can now take forward. Oh, what did
4: what did I do to get it made? (laughs) Well, I eventually decided. I eventually decided that if I would have to make a trailer, so I actually shot the little girl sequence, okay, you know the small young Mary sequence, and it's almost in its entirety. And in fact, I use even bits of it in the film. And then I took it to various people, and then it was an entirely female-driven. Um, film, because a wonderful woman called Geraldine Rapus from Impact Partners, and they would be responsible for Invisible War and The Cove and The Square and, and Icarus and an author of other movies, said, I'm going to introduce you to a lot of people and they'll finance your movie. And, and they did. Oh, my God. I mean, but it took a long time. It took 10 years from start to finish. But it's worked very well. And it, it, all the producers were women. And an no awful lot Flutter- of the crew were women. And as I said, Cahill, K- our cinematographer was the token kind of, you know, man. <laughs> but I mean, I don't have any fear. I was brought up in kind of, an. I was a lawyer, obviously, for a long time. So I, 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 I didn't have any fear of the organizational skills. And I studied a lot about directing. I mean, I, and my mother was a theater director. Hmm even though she was also an English teacher. And she used to always talk about the idea of catharsis and say that if you couldn't get them crying, laughing, or crying, crying, you wouldn't get in touch with that emotion that actually causes people to think and then to act and then possibly to change. And so when I was making the film, I very much had to, and it builds up very slowly in the film, I very much had to engage people in the emotional journey. And no, it's really funny. People usually cry at about three stages of the journey. And I always feel... If they're crying, we're winning. <laughs> and, and it's when, when, you know, a lot of films nowadays don't give you that emotional catharsis right. that I think is so important to drama.
1: No, I agree. You know, and
4: critics are kind of very cynical about it. They, don't, they kind of don't like it. They call it being manipulated. But it's not manipulation. It's extremely real. And it's mm-hmm. extremely important, I think, catharsis to it, good drama.
1: Absolutely. There's no for me at least that's what my mother taught me and you, I'm sticking you, to it. You you need to go through that whole process when you watch a film. Yeah. You really do. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Oh, Vivian, this has been an absolute joy. Unfortunately, we are all out of oh, time. Thank you you'll, I hope you'll come back on the show again when the film goes out in theaters yes, here I in will. the States. That would be so lovely. Yeah,
4: absolutely, in in, in April. Yeah, no, it would be great. I'd be out, I'd be in, I'm going to Sundance because I'm going on a few women's panels, oh. too, so I may be down in L.A. after that. So, yes, we should try and meet up and talk. Most sure.
1: definitely. And in the meantime, everybody can go on VOD digitally, and they can find the beautiful Dare to be Wild. Oh, Vivian, thank you again so much.
4: Thank you, Debbie.
1: Lovely talking to you both. Bye bye. Bye bye. Let's throw a lifeline to the wilderness. Uh, absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. Bye bye. And that was Vivian DeCourcy, writer director, Dare to Be Wild. Fascinating journey.
0: Crazy. <laughs> I mean, in a good way. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah.
1: But yeah. we are all out of time for our first show of 2018, year number four. I'm so glad you were here. So am I. I'm so So glad you saw The Greatest Showman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, we can talk after the show and and like for hours about it. I just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: Uh, Well, since that is all the time we have, let's see. Next week, we actually have. Yeah. We have guests next week. We have guests the week after. We have guests in February. We're... We're moving along. So to find out who we have next week, because we're jam-packed next week, join us back here every Monday, Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. in England and Ireland. And until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.